in this episode, Brian and Mike return to continue to talk about their playtesting and aspects of the new Destined game. And the rules guru returns to bring us up to date with the disengagement rule. Welcome to Mithras Matters, Season 1, Episode 24, Disengaging Those Power Roles. Welcome to May. Now, I have to start off this podcast episode by saying that luckily you can hear me and understand me. At the risk of being attention-seeking, two weeks ago I was besieged by facial paralysis. This came on suddenly and I had to visit doctors and consultants to see what was going on. After several tests, they are none the wiser, but assume it was some kind of bilateral Bell's palsy. Anyway, thank you for all the positive words people left for me on my video relating to the paralysis. They really did support me and helped me get back to normal as quickly as possible. I hope you can tell that my voice is much better and the only lasting side effects, as far as we know, is that I am growing a beard and moustache. First time in my 54 years on this planet. As for lasting, we will see how it goes. But at the moment, with so many white and grey hairs, I look like a cross between Santa Claus and Gandalf. You shall not pass! As you might be aware from my intro to the podcast last month, we have a strong international audience for the podcast. And in order to support everyone, I have tried to upload a transcript of the podcast alongside the audio version. I have to say from the onset that this transcript is currently only available for the segments which I write, record and add. As you might be aware, my segments are scripted before recording, so these are easily tidied up and shared. The main interviews will not have transcripts available, sorry. These are not scripted at all and currently I haven't come up with the time or the software for us to use to do the transcribing cheaply and effectively. I'm keeping my eyes open for possibilities and will keep you all informed. If you have any suggestions, then my email is in the show notes. In the last episode, I shared with you the continents where the podcast is listened to. Well, in order to expand this further and maybe promote the competitive streak in some of you, I thought I would share some more specific areas where the podcast is listened to the most. Now, in the interest of internet and podcast safety, please do not hop over to the audio feedback site and say where you live, etc., but if you are in the leading country or state, then do allow yourself a small glow of achievement. And before I share with you the top countries and all states, see, I'm building up the tension here. I am still waiting to be able to include and share an audience's audio feedback about the podcast with you all. 
The link is in the show notes. So do pop over to the site and record something nice. It could be anything from positive comments to questions. Someone will have to be the first. So maybe it will be you. Okay, so general country state information first. The podcast is actually listened to in over 310 cities across the world. The country with the highest number of listeners, which is about 5% of the overall listeners, is actually, wait for it, England. Yeah. Next up is the state of Colorado. And third is a town in Lower Saxony, which is in Germany. Sorry, I must admit that I had to look that up. My geography is rubbish. Georgia features in the top 10, as does Ontario, Texas and Wales. And other countries represented are Bavaria, Valencia, Madrid, New South Wales and Tokyo. Thank you to everyone who listens to the podcast. We really do appreciate all your support. Last episode, we were joined by Brian and Mike as they brought us up to date with the progression of the new game based on the Mithras system called Destined. This allows players to take on the altered egos of superheroes and save the city or planet from villains and other nastiness. We left the conversation at a bit of a cliffhanger last episode. I cut them off just as Mike was about to tell us about his own play testing. If you missed last month's episode, then now would be a good time to pop back and have a listen. If you're still with me, then let's head back to the discussion to see how Mike's play testing went. After, of course, they have both introduced themselves. Uh, my name is Mike Laramore. I'm one of the co-writers of Destined. And I am Brian Pivik. Hello again. I'm the uh, managing editor of TDM and also the other co-author of Destined. Has your play testing been good, Mike? Uh, yeah, actually, it, it, it's it, it did start that same way, and, and it's kind of similar to what you were talking about doing for yours. Is I started them, you know, like Brian said, where they were in the middle of the woods, um, no idea how they got there, no memory of who they were. Uh, they were being pursued by these unknown people with all this technology. And at that time, they had no powers. So it was purely just their wits to get them out. And then slowly their power started to manifest. I gave them each a single power and I let them roll twice on our random table and choose which one they wanted. So they at least had some choice. And, um, you know, it's, it's great to have resistance to sonic damage, but that's not terribly useful in most scenarios. Yeah. And that's what you roll. Um, and then slowly through the course of the campaign, they've been developing, they've gained powers. They actually went from street level characters up to the next level. And I, I wanted them to do that. And over the course of our sessions, you know, we've been slowly bumping them up so we could test all the power levels mm. and see where they're at. And it's interesting, too, because I was really wondering when they got access to more powers, was it going to be a situation where they're just going to start adding new abilities? And some did, but some also just were happy to enhance what they already had yeah. by adding more boost to it, kind of going along a theme to make, you know, the super strong, tough guy or... One character, he got telekinesis and he could change his shape 
and you know look like other people and it was kind of an interesting mix of powers but he really ran with it or nice. one guy who his his only power is luck but he has such a a good time with it and, and so using the the luck power really has done some amazing stuff and some fun stuff so it, it's it's been uh, it's been a great experience and i hate to admit it kind of surprising you know you don't want to say this about something you've been working on but you're kind of surprised how well it works <laughs> you yeah know, that so it, and, it, and the play testing has really helped that it sounds brilliant and I'm about to start an M space campaign and I'm going to run with a very similar idea because I don't want the characters to know everything. I don't think they can possibly know everything about the universe. So my idea is to strip it back in the sense that they literally land, they're in their escape pods on a planet, you know, and that's all they know, you know, for whatever reason to, so when they encounter new new people, new aliens, new corporations, they can actually develop their background along with that uh, as they go along. And I, I really like this idea. And I, I think we're definitely going to have random roles with adjustments. I don't just want a whole load of Aquaman um, because yeah. not that I have anything against that superhero, but yeah. <laughs> speaking with fish might not be the best the, the best power to go with at the beginning. It sounds as if it's a very flexible system. That's what I'm getting at the moment. Would you agree? That was a goal. Yeah, I think oh, it's sorry, a okay. highly flexible system. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. But yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it, it's. It, I was kind of surprised, you know, one of our, I think I had mentioned this before in one of the other podcasts, one of our initial play tests when we were first working on the system very early on, was to create licensed heroes, you know, and that was a, a suggestion of one of my friends is the idea that you don't know, know if it's going to work as a superhero system unless you actually make some actual superheroes and publish yeah. superheroes and see how well it simulates them. And even in thinking about that now, kind of where we're at now versus then, you know, I, I was I was thinking of someone like Spider-Man, you know, and the different approaches you could take to his powers and I could think of, you know, several different ways to do them and all of them would be correct, but they're completely different approaches of how you could do something, you know, for the one superhero. And, you know, the, there's a lot of different things hidden in there too. There's lots of tweaks you can make. There's lots of things through the boosts, which really kind of add to the diversity of the powers. Mm. So you have a, the core powers, which give you one fantastic ability, but then the boost can really open that up so you can really do things you know, beyond that initial power and really customize it. So two people can have the blast power and be completely different in combat, mm. you know, by, by the boost they've taken, by the approach they, they use. And I, I feel, you know, that's what we were striving to do throughout this process is to really give you all that flexibility and all those options to make the hero you want. Yeah. And I, I would say also uh, one of the things that we, we kind of made a conscious idea to avoid at the very beginning was having to roll to use your power. Um, your power works unless you're unconscious or you know dead or something like that, but mm. your power will always work. The boosts uh, are related to power points, which are sort of like magic points uh, in, in standard Mithras. And you would utilize those, those boosts to kind of give you an added bonus or yeah. uh, ability with your core power. 
but you never you're never going to roll to see if your inherent strength uh, is is working or is turned on at that point. So, yeah. yeah. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say with that, you you just you just find that you know with those core powers being always on always working um unless you, you know, some of the powers you have to like consciously use like your mind to turn it on essentially but uh, you will never have to roll so with that there's a great deal of flexibility with what you can do with those powers when and also we have the limits too where you know beyond that you can really affect how your powers function you know different from the normal system and uh, if you do want a character that has to put effort into using their hand strength you might take a limit where they have to spend power points to use it or they are required to have a piece of equipment or a magical item to have their power and if they're separate from that then they can no longer use it and even we discussed that in the game master chapter about you know really tailoring the power system to where you want it to be so if you have an idea for a campaign where you don't want the heroes to be able to use your powers you know instantaneously you can add you know mandatory limits to everybody or you can tweak what powers are available if you know if you just want to play vigilantes and you don't want superpowers there are a lot of powers in the system that would let you play a martial arts expert or uh, a genius who is very good with uh, you know equipment and gear so you can really even have those characters and tailor the the power system to what you want it to be for what your story is going to be. Fantastic. One one of the things that we talked about was how um, the skills and the way the skills work and to uh, completely the same with the powers as well. How it's providing that narrative that atmosphere of a superhero game and i i often see very powerful superheroes such as you know batman or superheroes from the comics or spider-man who or even the villains like lex luthor etc who have this huge amount of money you know <laughs> there's fortunes does destined adapt for that can you have billionaires who are also superheroes uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, we have we have a new system that's based off of kind of like what what's seen in Lioness or Leoness. I, I never know how to pronounce that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, essentially, it's called the allotment system. And what it, there there are two separate sections for allotments. There are personal allotments, and then there are organizational allotments. Uh, your personal allotments would essentially emulate the, the the kind of money that you have. So you're never going to have to keep track of, oh, I only have, you know, $15 left, so I can't, you know, get a cab mm -hmm. back to the superhero, you know, headquarters or anything like that. Um, in many ways, it, it simplifies the the monetary system in, in, in Mithras to make it much, much like, the way it is sort of in, in comic books and you know, uh, hero films, et cetera, the sort of media around superheroes, they're, they're, they're focused on their money. They're focused on, you know, defeating the bad guy. And that's yeah, kind of yeah. what we wanted to do with that system. Yeah. And we want to make it flexible enough that, you know, you can swap out your gear if need be. Um, you can have different options, different between different adventures, you know, because it happens, you know, where characters will have specialized equipment for certain things. 
you know, Batman's a great example of that. You know, Batman has a cave full of different mm-hmm. costumes and battle armor and, you know, 16 different vehicles and shark repellent spray and, you know, whatever else that, you know, he has access to. But in a game, in a role-playing game, that's really hard to simulate because you can't just have this massive equipment list. You know, in most cases, you know, if you're using a typical monetary system, there's no way you can make Batman unless the character, you know, has infinite money. So the allotments was kind of designed in that respect is that you have a number of slots, you know, from your organizations, from your personal, you know, finances, Mm. resources, and that at the beginning of the adventure, you can assign them to different kinds of equipment. So if you want to carry a utility belt full of, you know, boomerangs and grappling hook launchers, different things like that. You can choose to do that if you want to devote it towards a vehicle that you want to drive around in or you need for the adventure, you can devote them towards that. And your personal allotments, you know, are your always there. They're always your resources that are available to you, but you also gain them if you're part of an organization. And the organizations oh, could be anything from a, you know, Stark Industries or, you know, Wayne Enterprises that you have access to, and they might grant you access to technology that you normally couldn't get by your personal allotments because it might be too cost prohibitive, you know, because, mm. you know, you, you might not, you might be able to acquire military gear if you make the appropriate checks and, but it's going to cost you more resources to do that and more effort. But if you go to your friends at shield, you know, they might yeah. be able to, you know, you might be able to requisition a jet from them. But that also opens up the door for role-playing opportunities where you have to maintain a relationship with the organizations that you're part mm-hmm. of or put some effort into them or they may call upon you to do them a favor or participate in a mission. So it kind of opens that door as well. You know, there's some effort that needs to be put into that to gain access to what resources they have. Nice. I mean, that sounds absolutely... I, I really like the the flow the fluidity of that idea you know that we're not counting dollars you know for for cabs home or evening meals and things like that so that sounds brilliant i was just thinking well and as always i'm sort of like really hyped to play this game i was just thinking that superhero rule sets or games are probably quite low down on the list there's a lot of fantasy, then there's all the sci-fi, and then the superheroes down there. And yet we all seem to like comics, you know, and love seeing those films. What Do you think there's a reason for that? I was just thinking off the top of my head there. I think in, in from my perspective, I, I haven't found a superhero game that really helps you emulate what it is to be a, a hero. Um, I think that we've done very, very well with Dustin, and I think it's the closest that I've come to in in, in my time playing. Um, but I think that's one of the main reasons why, at least from my perspective, why uh, superheroes seem, seem lower on the RPG scale. Yeah, I also feel like maybe it's a part of it that, you know, in the escapism that we all enjoy for the hobby, that superheroes, even though technically it's a fantastic world it's still our world in most cases you know there's still a lot of the real world problems that creep into it or real world places and you know when you can escape into a science fiction game or a fantasy game you're going to a whole different world where there's fantastic things that we don't see here 
but you know that that to me is is part of the appeal of you know superhero games and, w- and why I've always been a fan. You know, even since you know I think my one of my very first games was the original Super World. You know, I think it was mm-hmm. the Worlds of Adventure box set, and it's always been important to me because you know it's still that that idea that you are more than you could be in regular life, or you're capable of things that you're able to not able to do in real life. And really, if you boil it down every game we play you know you're usually a superhero you know when you're a fantasy character swinging your plus four magic sword you know with mm. your plate mail of etherealness and you know wading through hordes of orcs you know how's that different than a guy in the capes and tights who's you know bashing through uh you know dozens of goons to get to the supervillain? yeah it's just the you know the trappings it's just you know the it's a different it's the same kind of story but just with a different flavor i i completely agree and i think i also like the maybe they could be seen as restrictions in the sense that if you're a hero there are certain things you can do and certain things that you shouldn't do and i'm not saying that nobody will ever do that but you know there's those are boundaries there's boundaries there and i think that challenges role playing mm-hmm. in the sense of trying to look at the scenario that there's a really easy way to fix it however you know yeah. you, yeah. you're a hero <laughs> you know you can't do that or you can't be seen to do that Right. I, <laughs> it's interesting that you, you bring that up because in, in my latest play test, I actually talked to my players about that. I'm like, do you guys want to be, you know, Superman good or do you guys want to be kind of, you know, gray, gray yeah. good? And they they opted to be more gray. They said we would rather be more like Batman who does some questionable things and, you know, probably suffers from some some severe mental distress that is causing him to do these things yeah. uh, so that's that's the route they wanted to play and and so far it's been it's been fun it's been a challenge for them but it's been it's been a really really good game so you know that you have the ability and i know we've talked about this in the past uh with you ian like you mm. can play a villain if you'd like you absolutely oh, yes. could create a, a super villain group and you know cause chaos absolutely you want to play the Punisher or Deadpool, you know, yeah. and, and the idea of killing people is just something that you're perfectly okay with. Mm-hmm. That's also part of it too. You know, if you want to explore that, you know, or just kind of have fun with it, you know, whatever, you, whatever your group decides and whatever everyone's comfortable with, that's where it is. We, we discuss that a lot, you know, throughout the player section, the game master section is that it really is your world. And, and you know, you need to consider how you want to structure that, you know, do you want to play something like the boys, <laughs> You know, yeah. where superheroes are not terribly nice people, even though they have the front of being these, you know, noble, yeah. great people. You know, you're, that's perfectly okay, too. It's your game. So has, has your playtesting might gone down the super or the more vigilante route? Um, a little of both. Uh, one, one character was very casual with headshots with a firearm for a while. Um, until he realized that he could do far more with his actual powers. Um, but for the most part, I think they've been playing it some, some gray. There's a little shade of gray in what they do, but ultimately they're trying to do the right thing. And I kind of like that side of it, you know, that they're not really bound to this code, you know, but mm. they're perfectly okay breaking the rules because, you know, that, that's part of 
in terms of what we're doing with the background setting of that is that you know it's it's setting where superheroes vigilantes they're sanctioned superheroes but most of them aren't so Mm -hmm. they're still considered to be breaking the law and the characters have all been in that camp so they're very careful about what they do Mm -hmm. so that they don't draw too much attention themselves but that means they have to kind of subvert the law sometimes and do some things that are morally questionable and mm. you know they've they've been good about role playing the consequences of that too so fantastic and and as you mentioned beforehand i will take the campaign down the villain route because i think it <laughs> i really do think i think it presents the same challenges you know that how bad can you be but also is that is there that opportunity to save that cat you know, and what, you know, if there's a, a bigger organization and like a crime boss, how does that reflect on the whole situation? So, yeah, I'll definitely be going down that route. So I don't I don't think I I really want to just leave the final comments up to you guys I'm to tempt us for it. I don't know whether or not you got when will it be here if you don't know, then that's fine. Anything else that's in it that is going to be fantastic? Um, well, we are currently, I, I believe we have gone through the, the final uh, phase of editorial. Um, we have made the rules changes as suggested by Pete. All of that has been completed. Um, I think the next step is for the artwork to finally be uh, basically just finalized. Um, and then layout will begin happening. And uh yeah, I'm hoping this year. Uh, I have not heard any definitive dates from laws yet, but it is definitely looking like this year at this point. So hopefully sooner than later, I hope. Uh, I, I can say, you know, we, we have gotten some previews of some of the art and I'm very pleased. And I think the artists have been doing some, some fantastic jobs as far as interpreting Brian and I's strange uh, characters and different things that we've created for it. Um, I, I would say the only thing I, I would really go into this with too is, you know, I, I, as a fan of Mithras, you know, I, I think it's important to say, you know, that I really want to, would be, I'm excited to see what people do with it, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of integrating with other games, in terms of taking it directions that we never would have anticipated. Um, we offer a couple of suggestions in the book, but, you know, part of the background of the setting was the idea that, you know, superheroes existed or some form of existed, you know, a long time ago and they were the basis of legendary heroes and demigods and gods mm-hmm. on earth and i would love to see people do stories in the mythic earth line of mithras and yeah. you know really play up that you know you could take daedalus and you know make him into a tony stark iron man type character <laughs> in ancient greece or you know i i really am excited to see where it goes from here you know past just capes and tights you know i, I feel like there's so much that can be done with it, you know, as a rule set, as a power system, you know, and I, I'm, I'm happy. I'll be happy when we get into people's hands and they can break it and yeah. mold it and do what they need to do with it to make the stories they want to tell. It sounds absolutely fantastic. And I'm really looking forward to playing it. Um, thank you both for coming along and contributing to the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. And it's always a pleasure. Yes, thank you very much, Ian. (laughs) 
you're interested in hearing more about Destined, then I chatted to Brian and Mike in episode six of the Mithras Matters podcast that has the apt title of Superpowers and Fluttering Capes. I'm definitely looking forward to playing Destined, so I hope we will get a publishing date soon. With this being episode 24, it means that this podcast has been going almost consistently for two years. The first episode was published back in April 2019, and I say mostly consistently because I missed an episode. April 2020 was just an apology. Sorry. Remember, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, then why not drop us an email or message and let us know what you would like to cover? We are always looking for reviews or interviews with people. So if you're, you are interested, you can email me at inwills at gmail.com or send me a message on the various forums I frequent. And also, if you are interested, then remember you can watch my other content on my YouTube channel where I explain the rules of Mithras, including newly published shorter and focused videos. I also post actual play videos and talk about GMing in my series, The Gibbering GM. Likes, subs and comments are always gratefully received. And I try to reply to all of the comments that you post. And stay tuned right to the end of this podcast because I've got some exciting news coming up. Next up, we are joined by the rules guru again. We often have a discussion which rule the guru should unravel and demystify for us. So if you have any specific rule you would like to feature in this segment, then do let us know. Contact details are in the show notes. This month's rule is one that we actually struggled with a lot when we first started to play. The rule of disengagement. Take it away, Guru. Hi, I'm Matt Eager of Old Bones Publishing, Matt E. on the forums, and our topic for today is disengaging. Remember, I didn't write Mithras. I've just been invited to share my own understanding of how the rules are meant to be used in actual play. One question that has come up a number of times in forum discussions has proved to be rather confusing and sometimes contentious. How can my character get out of close combat? She must be able to just turn and run, right? I used to reply with, No, you can't just retreat from combat at will, so you had better think about it hard before jumping into any fight, because once involved, you might find yourself unable to escape. But that didn't always go over so well. Following a few long exchanges on this, I've returned to the rulebook and thought about the question a bit more, and now I believe I have a better, clearer answer. The trouble here, I think, is mainly due to the way the rules are laid out in the book. The rules for retreating from close combat, also known as withdrawing, are on page 107 of the latest edition of the Core Mithras book. Laws and Pete speaketh. Withdrawing from a fight means that the character extricates himself from close combat weapon range. Withdrawing is automatic when using the withdraw special effect. Otherwise, a character must attempt to break free by use of the change range or outmaneuver combat actions in which case the opponents may resist. Once he has disengaged himself, the withdrawing character may on his next turn, for the cost of an action point, 
flee the battle entirely, or choose for some other options. The withdraw special effect is described on page 101, but you don't need to win a special effect to retreat. The outmaneuver action is described on pages 92 and 104, but applies only to avoiding a group of opponents, not when fighting one-on-one. -on -one. In that case, the usual one in close combat, the change range proactive action is used. This is described briefly on page 91, but the crucial exposition is actually where we began on page 107 in the section immediately before withdrawing. I think this is the first piece of the trouble that some folks have with these rules. To withdraw, use change range. To understand change range, in this context, refer to opening range. Yet the text for opening range says, opening range works in the same way as closing range, but obviously in reverse. Thus, we counterintuitively end up needing to learn the rules for closing range. On top of this confusing series of pointers to other rules, the sections on opening and closing range follow sections on fighting at the longer and shorter reach, all tucked under the larger heading of weapon reach, closing and opening range. The thing is, those rules for weapon reach are described as optional. Knowing what to do when a character wants to quit a fight, however, cannot be considered optional. It's a key part of RPG combat that's bound to come up before long. This is the second piece of the trouble in reading the rules as written. The third and probably largest piece of the trouble, though, is having to reverse the procedure for closing range rather than just reading an explicit procedure for opening range. Let's go through that reversal now. When using the change range combat action to attempt to open range and withdraw from melee, the character's opponent has two options. That's important. The character chooses to try to retreat using change range, but the opponent dictates what dice roll will be made in response. Option one. The opponent may stick with the character to stay engaged. The combatants make an opposed roll of evade. If the character wins, then she opens the range to a desired distance and then may proceed to withdraw on her next turn. If the opponent wins, then the existing range is maintained. Note, though, that this does not necessarily mean that they stand still. There could be some incidental movement around the battlefield that nonetheless leaves the combatants engaged as before. These people aren't statues. Combat's dynamic. Option 2. The opponent may attack the retreating character, making an opposed role of combat style versus the character's evade. If the opponent wins, then the character is hit as in combat and any difference in level of success yields special effects as usual. Whether or not the blow lands, the retreating character opens the distance and is free from engagement. It's only a question of how painful the process is. This second option is Mithras' version of the free shot at a retreating enemy's back that is familiar from other rule sets, especially those from the old school. Above all else, there's an important idea to keep in mind. If the opponent has no action points left, or simply chooses not to spend an action point to resist the character's departure, 
then the attempt to open range automatically succeeds, period. No dice rolls, no drama. To put it another way, what are the possible situations in close combat? If both combatants elect to keep fighting, then the rules for withdrawing do not apply. If both combatants elect to stop fighting, then the rules for withdrawing do not apply. Combat simply ceases and people may move freely. The case where one combatant wants to withdraw and the other does not resist is just a rephrased version of this one. If one combatant elects to retreat from fighting but the other does not, then the rules for withdrawing apply. This is the only situation in which we use the rules for withdrawing, the one where the combatants don't want the same thing. So, to sum up, if one combatant wants to retreat from fighting but the other does not, then the rules for withdrawing apply. The retreating character may use the change range action to attempt to disengage from close combat and then to withdraw completely on her next turn. The opponent decides which sort of opposed role will be used, evade versus evade or combat style versus evade. In the first case, the retreat may fail, leaving the combatant still engaged, but in the second case, the retreating character definitely does disengage, though she may suffer a blow in the process. Well, that wraps up my time for today. I hope this brief discussion of the rules for disengaging has been helpful. My concluding advice is understand these rules before your character enters the fray. Game on! I have to say that we once had a very, 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 very long fight between the party and a giant caterpillar where we tried to use the disengage rule for the caterpillar to no avail. The combat progressed and both the caterpillar and the party failed endurance rolls and were solely succumbing to fatigue. I think in the end everyone just collapsed on the floor from exhaustion. Now I take a different approach. As the combat is coming to an end, we just complete the narrative and say that the people can be captured or killed. Before I start the end segment for this episode, I would like to give a personal plug and more self-promotion. We, as in myself, Captain Kangaroo, Mr. Pickles, Longshanks, EPG and Medivac the Healing Hoover, have decided to blast off into space. No, we have not booked tickets on the first civilian flight to Mars. We have decided to alternate our campaign between Mithras, the fantasy setting, and M-Space, the sci-fi setting. We will be playing a whole adventure in one setting before moving to the other for another adventure. We will be streaming these live as usual on Twitch, and the recordings will be available on YouTube. This Saturday, we will be making up characters, so if you would like to see M-Space in action, then do make a note of the time, 1900 hours, British Summer Time, on Twitch, which is twitch.tv forward slash inwills. Make a note of it, and it would be lovely to see you. And if you're interested in M-Space as a rule set or setting, then do have a listen to episode 17 of this podcast, when I was joined by Clarence and Scott as the galactic creators of the game. And that's it, another episode of Mithras Matters completed. Next month is currently a complete mystery, 
but I'm sure the content will be excellent once I find it and record it. And don't forget that the next short rule video on my YouTube channel will be on bartering and haggling. Sorry for the delay about this. It was all because of the issues with my face. So until next time, have a great month of gaming and I will chat to you all in June. Until then, I hope all your opposed roles succeed and provide you with a well-deserved special. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye. The content of this podcast is covered by the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. So please give appropriate credit if you are sharing or copying any part of this podcast. Thank you.